Hey, everybody, it's a special Christmas episode. Dude, you should have kept going with it. You could have been, I am Dr. Scott Powell, and he is Father Peter Mussett True. Well, you did it for me. I didn't even have to. <laughs> Thank you, Father Peter, hey. for being my accompaniment today. Dude, I accompany you. I abide. Man, the dude abides. The dude does abide. Merry Advent, end of Advent, everyone. <laughs> this is a very late podcast coming at you. In the in the eleventh hour, right before Christmas, Scott Powell. So for the two of you that actually still listen to podcasts on Christmas Eve, <laughs> thank you, yeah, Father. Yeah, thank you, and Father, and Father. Nice to talk. What am I going to do for my homily today? <laughs> They're like, it's like, oh no, I preached about this my entire priesthood. <laughs> I have no idea what to say, dude. I gotta say, you have, and I've seen. I don't know. Maybe this is just my jaded, cynical old man nature that I've always had. Okay. But you approach the Christmas masses at St. Thomas Aquinas how I like to hope that most priests priests <laughs> priests approach Christmas and Easter masses and I fear that many don't in the sense that okay this is this is our opportunity. This is your opportunity to grab these people that never come except for this day and maybe Easter once in a while mm. and to try to bring them in and make them feel like this is a place that could be their home, and I feel like too many, too many priests, too many parishioners, too many people like me in the pews are just annoyed and angry that the parking lot's really crowded, and there's all these people that we've never seen before. We're not going to see them again until next Christmas. Like, what's the point? Why do you guys bother coming to mass? And I just feel like there's too much. I don't know. I do. I've sensed among priests and parishioners this cynicism about this day, rather than this sense that no, everybody's coming to mass today. What do we do about that? Yeah, they might not be planning on ever coming back, but today's the day that they're here. They're sitting, they're a captive audience, they're in the pew, they're in the presence of Jesus. How do we inspire them today so that they will come back next week? Well, the nice thing is, is that it's, um, it's the, the way that I, you know, cause you could, you could totally rally the sense of injustice and, and the, that people are not worshiping God and that they're just living secular lives and, right. and the, like, and then you just, you know, acid rain Cats and dogs living together, highway shootings, total pandemonium. You know what I mean? This year, you cannot miss Scrooge. Your life may depend upon it. You just stitched together Ghostbusters, Scrooged, and <laughs> something else. And I Scrooged. I said Scrooged. <laughs> but the, but <laughs> anyway, the, the way that the way that it's it's a nice way to see it is saying, hey, the whole family's getting together, and I don't want them to be estranged. You mean by the whole family? You mean the whole the whole family? family. The whole family's getting all together. the weird uncles are coming to mass. <laughs> oh, They're dude. all coming. Oh, they are. The whole family's here. And but I think I am the weird uncle. No, you're not. Well, maybe, but we all come to your house. <laughs> exactly. You never go to weird uncle's house, so you, that's why you can't be the weird uncle. Oh, because okay. you never go to his place. It's <laughs> creepy over there. He comes to your house, and you're like, oh, oh here comes Uncle Ned. Sorry, well, if you're Uncle Ned. Yeah. Well, today. But that's the thing about. Just sorry. Last okay. point on this. Your analogy is right because even if they never come to mass, they're actually still part of the family. Absolutely. They're just the estranged members, like you said. But it doesn't make them cease to be members of the family. Right. They're just members who have not taken part in the family life. Yeah. They just they just have stopped coming to Sunday dinner. But we're stuck with them. Yeah. In a certain sense. So yeah. anyway, keep that in mind, everybody, and especially you pastors well, and priests. We're not just stuck with them. Well, I know, but... Yeah. <laughs> see, yeah. see, there you go. It's the attitudes yeah. revealed, man. There it is. 
<laughs> yeah, no, you're right. But anyway, yeah. I think we should all keep that in mind this Christmas as the parking lots are full and we're annoyed that we have to be there an hour and a half before we normally would to get the seats. Dude, do you know do you know what one of my like if I have this the deepest envy in the world? Yes. No, it's I don't. Parking lot envy. Yeah, I we don't. And, I keep referring to these magical parking lots. We don't have a parking as, lot. As if there's we have something. some streets. Yeah, that, and I are... park in Father Peter's driveway unless somebody else has gotten there before me. <laughs> Man, when you got that motorcycle, it killed me because all of a sudden your third parking spot was taken. I know. Oh man. Well, Parking the Santos. Well, what we're going to do today is we're going to go over the uh, mass readings at midnight. Christmas Eve. Because they're midnight mass. Midnight mass. Because I think that they're the most Christmassy. The mass, <laughs> mass during the day, it's just like, it's like John 1. It's, it's, doesn't, it's not like Nativity Story. It's not like the child in the manger. And we could do the angels the, singing glory to God in the highest. We could do what's usually the children's mass and go through the genealogies. <laughs> Dude, I, would, I do love the irony of that i don't know if that's actually ironic properly speaking well, i mean like this is the thing is i just never i, I yeah I, I just can't believe that we that that was the one that got to determined to be the children's mass because it's like and shealtiel got zerubbabel and zerubbabel and the other dude apparently you have to read it in a southern accent <laughs> all right our first reading for the midnight mass is from isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 through 6 our uh, psalm is Psalm 96, 1 through 3, 11 through 13, with the response coming from Luke to 11. You just summarized that. Well done. Our second reading is from the book of Titus, chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. And our gospel is Luke 2, 1 through 14. All right. Dude, that's confusing. No. Because Titus is 2, 11 through 14. You just add an extra 1, or you take away 1, and then it's 2, 1 through 14 for Luke. So it's just like... Titus Luke, if it's just like ones and fours and twos and Christmas math, <laughs> Christmas <laughs> math, and our acclamation is two, uh, is Luke two ten eleven. But we're not going to talk about that, dude. So okay, right. so we so Isaiah nine. I was looking at this, and this is like this cool proclamation. Yeah, it's it's, it's like it's going from from like everything that's like horrible, and it's talking about how everybody's in dark and. And then, but then all there's these great things are going to happen. And it's all centered at this very core, which is a child has been born for us. That is this like fulcrum. <laughs> yes, that is the top of the parabola. <laughs> um, here's the, there's one problem. <laughs> I will now speak to you a parabola. Well, we're talking math, right? Christmas math. <laughs> like you said, Isaiah, you know, nutshell, crash course, Isaiah, two parts of the book. There's bad news and there's good news. Bad news is you're going to be punished for all your sins, for abandoning the covenant, for turning your backs on God's, for not being the people you were asked to be. But God is going to use all that punishment to restore you and build you back up. And he's going to do it in a way that that you never dreamt of. And he himself is going to come and be your king and your shepherd and everything else, right? Okay. So that's all sort of summarized in this chapter 9. But the first verse, or, or I guess the last verse, depending on what version you have. Same as the first. Says, oh, nice. <laughs> says this, but there will be no gloom um, for her that was in anguish, that is, Israel herself. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make a glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. And then it jumps in, the people in darkness have seen a great light. But that's significant because that passage... So here's one of the things I'm getting as I'm reading through Isaiah. It's so... And maybe this is just me because I have a mind who likes to compartmentalize things. I also really love Christmas. I love the, the Christmassy things and I love, 
you know, hanging all of our cards on the thing and the bows and the holly and the Christmas music and the eggnog and all the stuff. Miss, I know but, you like mistletoe. I like the mistletoe. <laughs> um, but what I don't, what is not at the forefront of my mind when I'm celebrating Christmas is usually the crucifixion and the resurrection, which is the wrong way to view Christmas because it's not simply about the incarnation of Christ. It's about the incarnation of the Christ who is going to go on to save the world. Mm. And what our reading in Isaiah is all about is not simply the birth of the child. That is in there, and it is a line that shows up, but it's what this child is going to grow up to do. And it goes on to say they've seen this light a light is shown. You have brought them into abundant joy and great rejoicing. They rejoice before you as the harvest. They make merry as people dividing spoils for the yoke that burdened them, the pole on their shoulder, the rod of their taskmaster. You have smashed as in the day of Midian. So there's what is this language? What is this meant to evoke in especially the Hebrew mind about um, burdens and taskmasters and rods of taskmasters? What does this remind us of? What's the imagery? What biblical slavery, story? Slavery, Exodus. Yeah, I the mean. Exodus story. So this is all about a new Exodus. So we should be reading this with the eyes of a new Moses who is going to come and set us free from a Pharaoh who has held us captive, who has made us slaves, just like those chariots and charioteers were smashed. So the rods of this taskmaster, which unbeknownst to the people reading Isaiah, is actually the evil one himself— not merely these nations who have come and lorded over them. The evil one himself is going to be trampled down. Every boot that trampled in battle, every cloak roiled in blood will be burned as fuel for flames. Why? Because a child has been born to us, a son is given us, and on his shoulder dominion rests. In other words, the kingdom itself rests on this baby's shoulders. Because the baby's not going to stay a baby. The baby's going to grow up and he's going to become a king in the likes of which no one has ever seen before and no one has ever expected, and he's going to defeat the enemy of all enemies. You well, cannot well, read you, the Christmas story without the crucifixion story. Well, this is the thing is, is the, I mean, just the the image itself is the, the pole on their shoulder. Oh, well, the, I didn't even think about that. The pole on their shoulder, but then his dominion rests on him. No. He's actually going to take this up. It's, it's From their uh, shoulder to his shoulder. Yeah, from their shoulder to his shoulder, mm. this child... Then that's why it's kind of it's like so the pole being the cross in case any of you <laughs> missed it <laughs> in, case, in case you need it made explicit. <laughs> well, sometimes we do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, well, because it's like the rod on the neck is yeah, yeah, is yeah. is the way it says it um, in the in the Greek. But then, like, I just think that it, it the dramatic reality of this little child is yeah. it's it's almost it like there's this like beautiful hope and this sadness tinged because we know that well, I mean. This child, this child, like, yeah, like to think that they're, they're going to have to take that, that this child is going to have to take this up and and yet they're a child and not yet a man. And so one of the things that we're meant to be reminded of, and this is why Christmas makes sense for us now, is that these things have not reached their fulfillment yet. Mm. These things aren't done Mm -hmm. because Christ has not, the work of salvation is finished, but we haven't seen yet the fruits of it. Mm. So we're still waiting for this day. I'm still waiting for this day when I see the boots tramped in battle, cloaks roiled in blood, burned up as fuel for flames. I'm still waiting to see the day that the rod that feels like it's placed on my shoulder to be released and lifted and for me to see the world as it truly is. You can find another job. What is, oh, come uh, on I'm your taskmaster. Oh my uh, gosh. I know. I just am kidding. I want you to keep working for Thanks, me. Thanks, man. But well, I, you I know what I'm saying, it, though. Yeah, and I actually think that a lot of the time, I mean, 
What is the nature of a lot of the Christmas stories that we we tell? We talk about Scrooge. We talk about um, I don't know. I've been watching the TV show This Is Us. Um, the, the, like there's this, the, the people want on Christmas a sense of release. Like yeah. like I actually think that that part of the gift of Christmas is is a surrender of those things to the Lord, and 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 an actual like relinquishing because like sometimes what can happen is that we can take them up in our soul and we can make them um really heavy and we can yeah. like wear the the problems of the world upon our own shoulders right rather than saying you know what this is a moment of reminder this is actually the the moment of release when we say you know what actually we give this to the Christ child it's and it's not and it's yes. but it's not it's not removed of its poison it's but that's that's the wild thing is that this is you know like the poster for the passion Right, right. His purpose was to die. No, and it wasn't. It was to I establish know, a kingdom. I know. I'm but d- this is also the paradox that we're meant to live in, because I think we're supposed to be... I do have some Doc Martens. I have a paradox that I, I live in. Paradox. Oh, nice. Uh, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. But the paradox of that we do want... I mean, Christmas is... We want it to be this sort of release. We want a night of peace. So, oh, silent night, holy night, peaceful night, right? There, There's all of these evocations of peacefulness and a freedom of, you know, a rest. But yet there is still the trauma. There's still the pain. There's still the horrors. There's still the family trauma. There's still the things going on with your kids or your family or your spouse or whatever it is, or your job or the fact that you don't have a job or the fact that whatever, you know, whatever it is, they're still there. And so there, we are meant actually to live in this weird in-between paradox of, we look to this night of peace. We look to this moment of salvation, even though we still live in a state in the valley of tears. Mm. We are in the, it, this is where the church speaks of the already but not yet moment. Mm. Christ has already saved us, but do we, know, we do not yet feel the full effects of that. Right. He's already conquered sin, but we do not yet fully feel released from it. And this is the paradox that we live in. So I don't think even in that moment of peace and surrender and release of Christmas, we're never fully removed from the pain of sin because we're still in the middle of it. And I, I actually, let's hold that thought because I think it comes back up in the second reading. Mm. Is that, yeah, and yeah. I hope this isn't too, too negative sounding a podcast from my point of view. Is it? You, uh, Do I sound really down? Is it a downer mm-hmm. of a podcast? No, no, no. It's not a downer of a podcast. You're, but you, but you, you know, like this is the thing: is that is that? Uh, uh, um, well, he, I know you. You were trying to speak of balance because the truth is, is that there is a balance of saying yes. Like I can acknowledge freely that my life is complicated and burdened by sin, but the, but there is a certain sense that this the season. It, it, it is salvation and that, that we can actually rejoice in that because we know that the, 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 the none of this is the last word. And I yeah. think that there's even a spontaneous reaching out culturally yeah. to say, no, this is not the last words, that there is actually new life. There is new things. And I think that that leads us into the psalm. Well, I think really at the end of the day, the most important thing for me is to not let the Christmas story be something that's in the past and done and finished. Right. That we can kind of put it over there and isn't that nice? Otherwise, mm. otherwise, in a very real way, the scriptures become schizophrenic. Because you can't read through the first reading from Isaiah and be like, everything's going to be peaceful. The wars will end. All the boots will be done. All of this stuff is done. Great. The end. And not feel a schizophrenia when you realize, but wait, I still experience all those things. 
the scriptures are meant to be a real lived reality and for us to read this and realize, wow, this isn't totally finished yet, is it? Mm. This task that Isaiah has has begun to announce is not totally done yet. It's not some event that ended 2,000 years ago in a manger in Judea, in Bethlehem. It's actually something that's still fully present in my life because I haven't fully seen the fruits of this yet. Mm. So I'm still in a moment of waiting. Mm. I'm still in a moment of expectation. I'm still in a moment of... The Christ is still coming. He's still doing something new. And that actually then makes it not just negative and a downer. It becomes actually exciting Mm. because we still feel the expectation of Israel, of how long, O Lord, you've Mm. done this work. You've already set it in motion. When is it going to be fully felt? When is the world going to see the reality for what it is? Otherwise, it really died. I do think this just becomes schizophrenia. Mm. Everything's done. All the war is done. All the tears are wiped away. Yay! But wait, there they are still, mm. and we're not to me- we're not meant to read the scriptures to read the scriptures and live salvation history in a schizophrenic way. Does that mm. make any sense? Yeah. Okay. So it takes us to the psalm, which is sing a new song to the Lord. Sing, sing to a the new Lord. song unto <coughs> the Lord. <coughs> Sorry, <laughs> unto the Lord. I love this because the church, in her wisdom, uh, actually has. Dude, dude. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she actually inserts the church in her wisdom. She inserts a passage from the New Testament to answer the question posed by the Old Testament. What is this new song that we're supposed to be singing? Oh, well, today is born our Savior, Christ the Lord. Just And it's almost one of those things like oh, the whole family's coming back together. Maybe they haven't been around for a whole lot. Maybe they've missed all of the readings throughout the rest of the entire year, and they don't really know what's going on. So let's make it abundantly crystal clear by putting the scriptures together for them to answer any questions. What is this new song we're supposed to be singing? Oh, that Christ is born. I just think it's kind of cool. It's, mm. this, it's not pandering, but it's no. a, let's lay this out as explicitly as possible. Well, this is the thing is that, um, uh, uh, you know, the transition always from purification into illumination is by singing praise. Mm. Like th- that, that's the reason why K-Love is like us <laughs> so popular. It is positive and encouraging. It's positive and encouraging because w- what happens is that what, what do we do? Like when things are confusing and we're not sure like what, what awaits us and how things are going to go. You turn on Caleb. You praise the Lord mm. and you, you actually That's go good. into a place to where you say, you know what, I'm going to recognize the good things that God has done. Yeah. And what are those good things? And I think that, that that's actually how Christmas sits in the midst of this is that, yeah. is that yes, God has done the most marvelous thing, the incarnation of God yes. that, that, that God has become man through so many yeses that the, fulfillment of promises have have taken yeah. to ha, have 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 been fulfilled and so what do we do is we praise we sing a new song we say like yeah. the god god is doing new things it's not something that's happened in the past it's that it's happened in the past and it endures and is perfected and is fulfilled beautifully yes. now within the present it's an eternal and moment and it continues to be yeah 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 and so so there's so there's gladness and rejoicing and and like all of creation is being redeemed uh, the man's relationship with god is being redeemed it's it's all profound redemption in the yes. midst of this and yeah I, because creation itself is is then the trees of the forest are exalting and the whole world is screaming with justice yeah yeah it's everything it is all or nothing yeah and and uh, the, the the title of this psalm is when the house was restored after the captivity, Ooh. a song by David. So yeah. when yeah. the house was was restored, yeah. and like 
that's really at the at, like at the core of like the longing for Christmas is that is that restoration of the of the house of the family the of recovery the home, yeah. of, of uh, like that that's what we were talking about before it's like the family is all back yeah which is the uh, which is Israel's longing in the New Testament because remember they're all and the priest longing in the parish and the priest longing in the parish yeah. But even Israel in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, I mean, remember they're 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 in Israel, they're in the Holy Land, they're living in Jerusalem and Judea, but it's actually not theirs. Home is not actually what it's supposed to be. We're not quite home yet. There's still something wrong, right? And that's why you have these promises throughout the Old Testament, including Isaiah, of this new king who's going to come and restore the kingdom. Because Herod is not the one who restored the kingdom. Herod didn't restore the kingdom. So you're living in the New Testament, and you're like, well. Where is this king? Where is he going to come from? When is this king? When is our house going to be our house again? It's like driving past your house, but somebody else is living in it, and you can't quite go in. You can't quite see in the windows, but you know it's your house. I did that. That's other, I did that the other day. <laughs> is that your dog barking? No, Tell it to be quiet. <laughs> that's Megan's dog. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry. It's Which funny. leads us into second reading of Titus. Titus. Titus would be a good dog name. Titus, wouldn't it? Andromedus. Titus Andromedus. Oh, that's good. Wait, is that from the Unbreakable Kitty, Kimmy Schmidt? Is, I think that is <laughs> Titus Andromedus. Oh, I think gosh. it is actually. Nice. Good pull. Oh man, I thought that was from um, Star Trek. Isn't it? Isn't, <laughs> isn't Kirk T. Captain? What's Captain? What's Captain Kirk's dad's name? Spock. Tiberius. No, I don't know. Tiberius. Tiberius Caesar. Yeah. yeah. No, I don't know. I don't know, man. Why are you asking me? I didn't bring that up. <laughs> All right, Titus. Titus, by the way, quick uh, note on Titus. Titus was, <laughs> Titus Titus and Timothy are what are known as the pastoral epistles. Mm. So they are letters that Paul wrote to his, they're very specific. They're letters that St. Paul wrote to pastors, to bishops that he left behind to govern churches that he established. It's, it's a lot like the lanky guys. It's exactly like the lanky guys. <laughs> so Titus was left uh, to govern the church in Crete which is that little strippy island, uh, I think, south of Greece, right? Yeah, yeah. So he was the bishop there. And so the letter of Titus is Paul giving instructions to this young bishop on what it meant to govern the church there. And so he's saying all these things to him. And this is a brief little reading, but what he says to Titus in this moment is, Beloved, the great—and this, I, I do think this comes back to this sort of already but not yet moment that we spoke about earlier— he says, beloved, the grace of God has appeared. By the way, this is a letter. It's meant to be read. It's, it's written to Titus, the bishop, but it's meant to be read in the, the hearing of all of the congregation. So it's like if the archbishop wrote you a letter personally, but it was meant to be read after mass. Yeah, yeah. So they're like, oh, hey, Father Peter, listen to this letter. All of us get to listen to it as well. So, beloved, the grace of God has appeared. The grace of God has appeared, saving all, and training us to reject godless ways and worldly desires. The grace of God appeared, namely in Jesus Christ, in his birth, in the the, the the nativity, the little baby. Training us to reject godless ways and worldly desires, to live temperately, justly, devoutly in this age, as we awaited the blessed, as we await the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself to deliver us from all of our lawlessness, to cleanse for himself a people of his own, eager to do what is good. So God has appeared. No, just note the the incongruity of incongruitousness of Titus, or seeming incongruitousness. Okay. The grace of God has appeared, saving all. Jesus appeared. But then four lines later, five lines later, it says, um, we're still awaiting the appearance of the glory of our great God. Mm. He has appeared, but we're waiting his appearance. 
Mm. Did you catch that? No, I did not. Which is just kind of interesting if you're reading it. You're like, well, wait a second, has he appeared or not? Yes, he's already appeared, but not in his fullness. Mm. Not until the second coming, not until the moment that he comes again, will the veil finally be lifted and we'll see the great glory of our God, as, as Paul says to Titus. We'll see the glory in its fullness. He did appear. He was born. He did actually save us. All of those things are true. And he trained us to do all these things, reject godless ways, our worldly desires, to live temperately, justly, devoutly. Why? So that we can be ready when he appears in his fullness. The appearance, even that word, his appearing, is, um, is uh, what's, what's the word? It's, uh, well, like, a, I guess an idiom, sort of, for the coronation or the coming into power of a king. When a king comes into his kingdom, in his glory, with his majesty, with his crown, that is his appearing. He's already king. The king already exists. There is already a king. But it's his coronation. It's uh, I well, mean, he's been he's sense. been crowned. That's all true. But he hasn't yet shown. It's like he. It's like when the pope, the new a new pope has been named, and he comes out onto the balcony to greet everyone. Ah. That's sort of the analogy, right? Mm. So God is king. He has been born. He was born in this humility, in a way that hardly anybody knew about or saw. And then even when he did his public ministry, he had smatterings of people here and there come and see him. Very few people, quite frankly, actually saw Jesus when he was alive, when he was when he was living on earth, right? Before his ascension. Oh, yeah. Relatively few people. So this is not the king fully appearing. There will come a time when all eyes will see his appearance in its fullness. This king who has already come, who has already been crowned, who has already saved us, who is already ruling, will show up on the balcony and greet mm. us all. And some will reject him, and some will accept him, and some will recognize him, and some will fail to recognize him. But Titus, I think, is driving home that point that we still do live in the middle. We live in the already, but not yet. He's already done this, but we haven't seen it in its fullness. Mm. There is still a waiting. There is still an eagerness that we ought to have because the story's not yet over. Mm. The story's not been completed yet, which is really a beautiful place to live. Otherwise, the world gets real depressing real quick. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway, so that's what I got from Titus. Because Titus does, I think, help define what the Old Testament reading is saying mm. to me. Yeah. Yeah. Which Because it's all about me. <laughs> which is very normal. <laughs> oh, uh, it is not. <laughs> All right, which brings us to Luke chapter 2. Which uh, Luke does by the way give us more about the actual story of the birth of Jesus and the circumstances than any of the other gospels. Absolutely. Which and is logical if you remember that Luke actually lived with the blessed mother for a time. So you get, it's Luke that actually has all these, it's only Luke that tells you about the Annunciation, tells you about the visitation, because I imagine Mary in her, you know, old age before she was assumed into heaven, sitting down with Luke and being like, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you this thing that happened to me when I was 13 years old and this angel appeared. Let me tell you what I was feeling and thinking. Otherwise, where's Luke pulling this stuff from? But if you imagine this being in a certain sense, the gospel according to Mary, at least the beginning part of the gospel according to Mary. Then it takes on this really profound beauty. Yeah, which also just is, you just think about hanging out with Mary, interviewing her about <laughs> the grace no of kidding. God. I mean, like, I'm going to be doing that in heaven. I'll be like, okay, Mary, let's sit down. Can Let we, me know. Can we, talk, can we talk for a little bit here? Yeah. I'll be like, oh, my goodness. She'll but, be like, get in line. Get, get in line. She's like, I'm gonna give. I will give a catechesis. I'll give it to an audience. <laughs> nice. <laughs> She'll give an appearing. Yeah, <laughs> dude. Well, what's? Yeah. Ha I mean, this is this is like 
there's a couple of things like Scott and I have been talking about, yeah. which is that uh, you see Joseph and Mary coming to a town that they have traditionally had relatives in. I mean, otherwise he wouldn't be going there. Yeah, he the would. Census, you know, they mean family. like they, they know they know Joseph, they know Mary, like they're going back there for the census, like. Uh, like there's some really confusing things that like in an honor culture that like how do you actually deal with um how do you deal with the fact that they just kicked them out and said oh hey you you guys go to a cave like i don't know it doesn't make much sense to me i got to be honest i know it's part of our iconography i know that it's part of our our um our our way of understanding like and i th- and i think that it's good and I, I but i think that that there's some speculation that that scott and i have you you we've been talking about like that, that might be another way another perspective that's that maybe not be might not be as traditionally understand as a traditional understanding of like what's going on i mean, i was looking up like like traditional jewish houses yeah. like and and the katalima would actually be like the guest house you look through you katalima look through, by the way when it says there was no room for them in the inn yeah. what we usually translate as inn it's the word katalima which does not mean a commercial inn or like it, a hotel no it, and we know that because later on Luke talks about the story of the Good Samaritan, yeah, who actually puts up the Good Samaritan puts up that guy who was beat up in an inn, which is a different word. The hotel is a is is not a katalima. So wherever there was no room for Jesus and the Holy Family in, it's not a hotel that they're talking about. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that's what gets confusing to me is like, okay, then then the katalima like there, there's a traditional kind of four room house. Uh, model that 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 I've been able to find, you know, that you you would have like, you know, cooking, fabric dyeing, then you'd have a a room for sleeping. What? Why do you laugh at me about fabric dyeing? Because I can picture you having a fabric dyeing room in your house. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's that's actually. I think we do have one of those at my parents' house. I'm sure you do. Then you'd have a, a a main room. So so kitchen, um, like tool room. We'll just call it for for measure. Then you'd have a sleeping room, and then you'd have kind of a main room where so they, they you could have livestock or, like I don't know. I mean, this is the, this is the question. We don't really know, but like, but like, what is the Catalima? Well, here's here's what thing. One what thing is we, this guest room? Well, here's one thing we probably do know. Because the upper Most, room, the upper room, they said I'm going to do my Passover is a Catalima. Is, is a Catalima. Yeah. And so it's like, hey, which uh, is a pretty generic word. It's a, it's a room. Where where is it? What is this? But here's one thing we do know. We we you know traditionally we talk about Jesus being born in a stable, um, or what we would think of as a stable. Most houses in this part of the world in this time period with you know normal people would not have. I mean, we're talking about like a big farm with a stable and land and pastures. People didn't have that. They had these little tiny houses that were pretty close and crammed together. And it, your animals would be tied up right outside. And at nighttime, you'd well, usually literally bring the animals into the house. Because it's your refrigerator. Well, your your heater, because the ha- animals would actually help warm the house. Well, I mean, refrigerator meaning that, like, this is your food that you're going to oh, yeah. eat. Like, oh, your fo- your animals. Your animals. Or they were work animals, or they would, you know, carry your, your stuff or help you plow whatever, you know. I mean, it I... It could be work animals, I would too. not eat Megan's dog. No, I'm don't just eat, saying. Don't eat Simon. <laughs> okay. But yeah, so I so I mean, it seems likely to me, and there's lots of different ways you can read this, that the Catalima, so oftentimes there was a guest room set aside in houses for people to receive guests. Sometimes it was called the prophet room. So if you remember the story of uh, Elisha, the prophet in Second Kings, there was 
people that he would go to their house and there was specifically a room set aside for prophets who were passing by because you always want to show prophets hospitality. It's, but, it's a very it's a very American way. We're, we're very in, interested in prophets. We're, we like the prophets. But even a lot of houses were even smaller, simpler than what you're describing. I mean, there's a lot of those, but most houses just had simply one room. It was called the family room where you cooked and you slept and you ate and everything kind of happened. And there would be another room called the Katalaima, the guest place. Now, now, we don't know, ex- and sometimes these, and there would also be a place where you'd put the animals. It was usually kind of a lowered part of the house where you'd come and put your animals for the night. Sometimes those were hewn into a cave. Sometimes the houses themselves were hewn into caves. But it appears to me, if I had to guess, that that's probably where Jesus was born. But I was thinking about this. I was actually having a, a conversation with a sister friend of ours, a, a nun, and um, talking about the humility that Jesus was born in, because I, it doesn't make sense to me entirely that Joseph would go to the place of his ancestry, of his family. Um, he is the descendant of the King David. He's a significant member of society and of that family. Last week we called and him to, King Joseph. King Joseph. And to be totally turned away by his I mean, if I had family coming to stay with us, even if the guest room was taken, we'd find a couch or a corner of floor or something. I mean, you, you put your family up, right? Not to mention the fact that he has a wife who's pregnant. And in every culture, especially in honor culture like this one, you don't turn a pregnant woman out on the street. That doesn't make any sense. But I wonder, I just, I, I just have to wonder, and this is all speculation. When Mary and Joseph show up, Joseph knows what's happened here. They have not, I, I don't know at this point if they've been fully married or not. No, they're just betrothed at this point, right? It actually says in Luke here, he, to be enrolled with Mary, his betrothed. So if they're betrothed, it means they've not come together to live together yet. So imagine that you show up at your ancestral home, your family home, with your betrothed. With your fiancé. Well, yeah. I know it's, yeah, more, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. more than the fiancé. For, la- for lack of a better way to put it. Better, and yeah, she's yeah. pregnant. And she's pregnant. And you're like, I know what happened. I trust in God's word and the angel. How am I going to explain this to anyone? So... While I do think someone probably took them in, I also wonder if there was this sense of like, well, we'll take you in, but we don't trust you, Mary. Look at you. What have you done? You were pregnant. You, you know, maybe it's not even my Joseph. We don't know what's going on here, but you guys, there's a big cloud over you. So yeah, we'll let you come into the house, but you got to go where the animals go. You have to go down with the animals and the dirtiness and the, the, you know, the cold and the whatever. You go there. We are not giving you the katalima. And I just wonder if the shame that Joseph and Mary actually face when they go back to Bethlehem is in a certain sense worse than what I thought it was. It's not just, oh, there's no room. There's no place to put you up. You're like, thanks, but, but uh, everybody's here for the census. Like, right. we'll find a corner for you. But no, it's like... No, you, you're you're actually a shame upon our house. You were a shame. So we'll let you in and we'll give you a place, but you're not going to have the guest room. I mean, a but, pregnant but si- woman. S- I guarantee you, you there's no other pregnant women staying in whatever house that they're in. You give the pregnant woman the room. You give her the bedroom. You, right. give, her the, you give her a bed. You give her a, the guest room. You give her whatever to take care of her. And I just wonder if the shame that hangs over them, even though he be the descendant of King David... What they've done is so shameful that we're going to put you where the animals go because we don't trust you guys. We know you're betrothed. We know you haven't come together as husband and wife, and yet she's pregnant somehow. Yeah, we'll let you stay here, but you know how we feel. And all of a sudden, to me, that just becomes like, oh, that would be terrible. Imagine being Joseph and be like, this is my wife. She didn't do anything wrong, (laughs) but yet she's pregnant. 
you're never going to believe me how it happened. You know that we're not fully married yet, but she's pregnant. What do I do now? How do I explain that to my ancestors and my parents and my uncles and my aunts and my grandparents? What do I do with that? How do I live with that? That's where they are. That's where they're dwelling. That's the situation that they're in, which would be horrible and humiliating and so humbling, I think. Yeah, I mean, I can I could see actually even by that argument, like t- talking about that level of, of humiliation. I, I was watching uh, The Crown on... Uh, on Netflix, <laughs> and and, okay. the, and there, there's a king that's abdicated the throne. The before Queen Elizabeth, you had Queen jo- King George, but then King because King George the Stutterer, remember he yep. got he he took the throne because his brother abdicated because he okay. wanted to get married to a woman who was divorced. Okay, and so he abdicated the throne, and so then there's all this drama about him not even being able to attend the uh, mm. the coronation mm. uh, be, uh, of Queen Elizabeth because he got married out outside of the, the normal ways, and so Yikes. so it's like it, it, that's a contemporary expression of this yeah. same thing of that's saying like no like we like like there is a proper ordering to society and you're of the kingly line and you and like they they could think one of two things either he got her pregnant yep. which is probably most likely he's probably not going to say she's pregnant with by the holy spirit or they could <laughs> right. say is she pregnant by another man yeah you know but but most likely i would just say that you know they're they're, they're traveling together yeah. they're still together he would have divorced her yeah. But but this is the thing yeah. is like you can see how they would say, you know what, we don't want any part of this. Yeah. Like, like so there's one part of me that says there's no room in the Catalaima. They could just say, like, you know what, we're just gonna go and forge our we we have to forge our own way because we have broken family ties because of the honor culture nature of things. But this is the catch twenty two of an honor culture because if you are on the other end and you're the one who's kicking them out, you bring dishonor upon your head by casting out a pregnant woman. Uh, despite yes. her circumstances. Despite her circumstances. So because it's not because of their generosity or because they want to care for these people. It's because they don't want to bring dishonor in their culture on themselves. So they're like, fine, we'll find a compromise. We'll find a place for you. But that's where it gets interesting is because then you have these shepherds, then we have this segue out well, to the fields. Well, this is this is weird. It's like when we see the the baby born, we we don't end up with family celebrating and surrounding. We right. get kings and shepherds, which is yes, which is yeah, which is. I mean, strange. there's something glaring about the fact that you there's know, no one mentioned. There's nobody mentioned from the family. No, there's not, and not that there wasn't somebody there, but there's no mention. There's which is strange, especially if. They're in the house or at least in the vicinity of a family member's house. There's nobody there or at least nobody mentioned to care for them. Elizabeth even. Elizabeth. And I don't know where. Yeah. Oh, she's in the hill country, though. Well, it depends on where Zachariah is from. Remember, it depends oh, on where his family, they're yeah. wherever, because if everyone has gone back to the census, it depends Zach. on where, where he needs to be. But then the, the segue to the shepherds is interesting. And this is maybe we'll, we'll call it a day. Um, We'll call it a Christmas. The shepherds are out there. They are. You know, again, there should be family members who are coming. This is what happens when you have a baby. Family come, they care for you, they, they're they rejoicing, they're excited, they break out the cameras. This is what families do. But they don't appear to be anywhere around because of this seeming situation of shame, which is what Jesus chooses to be born into. But then you have these shepherds who are, the shepherds were considered ritually unclean. So the, the Levites and the rabbis, they didn't come into contact with shepherds because of their contact with animals and stuff. They were unclean people. But it's interesting that the angels choose to go to them first. They are the ones to have this announcement announced to them. 
And the announcement, funny enough, is that the king is born, the Christ, the Lord, the emperor, literally is what they're being told, is now been born, the one that we've been waiting for. And you and you should go and see him. And if you're a shepherd who is considered ritually unclean, not to mention probably just dirty because you're out with the animals all the time, and you're being told that you should go and see the newborn emperor of the world, you got to be thinking like, I'm, there's no way. I can't do that. Number I one, need I'm a dirty. shower. I need a shower, but they're also never going to let me in. I'm an outcast. I'm unclean. I'm not permitted to be in the presence of the holy ones and the temple and any of those things. I can't go. And the angel, so there's this threefold fear. Remember when Mary has the angel appear to her, she's afraid, and the angel comforts her. Joseph is told to take her as her wife. He's afraid of that, the angel comforts. And the shepherds now are afraid because they're like, we're unclean, we can't do that. And the angel comforts them and says, no, here's the sign. Here's how you know that you're okay to go see this king. Because he's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes, which is the sign of how impoverished peasant people wrap their babies in these little strands of cloth. And lying in a manger, a manger is the feed trough where animals eat, which would have been built into most people's houses. He's in swaddling cloths, these clothes that are wrapped around him lying in a manger, and their instant thought is, wait, the emperor, the king is being born in some palace, some huge grandiose castle or someplace. No, he's actually been born in a house that probably looks a lot like my house, in a situation that probably looks a lot like what I might have been born into. He might be like me. Could it be that the king of the universe, the emperor of the world, is born in circumstances like me? Could he be that he looks like me and mm. has a house like mine? Mm. Maybe I actually can access the king of the world, which is why the angels choose to go to the shepherds first. Because what he's trying to say is, no, this is not just a king for the powerful and the bourgeoisie and, and you know the, the influential people. It is a king for everyone, including the peasants and the unclean and the dirtiest, lowliest members of society. And guess what, dirtiest, lowliest members of society? The king looks like you do. Mm. Oh, maybe we can access this king. Maybe this is a king for us as well, which is a really profoundly beautiful message that they've been given. But that's the sign. They're afraid to go see the king. The sign that they're being given that it's actually okay to go see them is that, no, he's got circumstances like you. And that's what opens their eyes and says, okay, let's get moving. Let's go see him. Dude, that's beautiful. Which is a neat kind of ending point, I think. Well, yeah, you know, I was was looking and I was trying to understand... um, the, this the the word like the manger mm. the feeding trough and uh and it's a it's a it's a word um uh, fante which in the in the old testament i just looked this up this is just totally uh, uh, bizarre but what? um in job uh in job 39 9 okay um hold on actually let me make sure of that it's uh job um yeah, thirty nine nine. It says, uh, "Is the unicorn willing to serve you? Will he spend the night at your crib?" And I was like, "I was like, anytime you find a unicorn hanging out at a crib, dude, life is good." That's a manger scene that we need. <laughs> we should add that to the church to the manger at the church. Absolutely, stick a unicorn in there. And, and that I did some investigation, and I uh, most people translate it as wild ox. Oh, but yeah, I know. <laughs> but lame. Rather than they, they thought that the Greeks might be referring to a rhinoceros, and oh. I was. Interesting, and I was like, <laughs> but I think oh. that a unicorn is that's wonderful. way cooler. Like, I it's think I think unicorns belong in all manger scenes. Now, they as do. a reference to Job thirty nine nine, which is is God kind of grilling Job, saying like, dude, do you understand who God is? Do you think that God is gonna like? 
can you imagine this scene? And and Job is like, oh, I can't, I can't imagine can't the unicorn hanging out at the crib, <laughs> baby. <laughs> well, on that happy note, may your unicorns hang out in your. I, I'm putting a unicorn in my manger this year. Boom. Hey, Merry Christmas! Merry Christmas, everybody! Thank you for being a part of our podcast and for being a part of our family. And uh, we wish you tremendous peace and joy in this holy season. Um, And may uh, you really come to know the Christ child and the incarnation with the deepest of your heart. God bless you. We'll see you next year. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado. You can find us online at www.lankyguys.org. See you next week.